Welcome to the Driving You Crazy Podcast. This is where we talk transportation, roads, highways, byways, sideways, all things traffic. Joseph, I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I am Denver 7 overnight producer Joseph Peters. And you can reach us on all kinds of different ways. I have a Facebook page. It's called Jason Luber Traffic Guy, J-A-Y-S-O-N. Luber Traffic Guy. And then we're both on Twitter, right? Denver 7 Traffic for you, Joseph Denver 7 for me. I'm on Facebook, too. You just search Joseph Peters. I'm easy to find. Uh, it's good to have you back, buddy. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, I you know, we, I was off on assignment, as they called it, Yes. Uh, last week. I'm back after my sojourn with the wife and the kids. We went to South Florida to enjoy some West and Wee Waxation, as Elmer Fudd used to say. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, we went on an exhilarating ride in an airboat in the Everglades. If you've never done that, it was what we did one one time. That was more of a... Uh, a gentle tour and then we took the kids on a real one where you're going through the grass and going inside I mean it was really cool that's rad we saw the alligators um, and it, it was just it was really fun we had some time at the beach and then we got on a the Disney Magic for a fabulous five-night cruise in the Gulf of Mexico. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, right. We celebrate. It was really to celebrate my wife's 40th birthday a few months early because uh, her birthday is in April, but it just worked out time-wise because there's time that we can't take off of work here. Correct. Because of our sweeps periods and ratings periods, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, and it just it was obviously less expensive to go in January too. So that's why we went. There you go. It was our first Disney cruise, our second one, second cruise with the kids. It was our eighth cruise overall um, for Gina and me, and uh, on five different cruise lines. That's an impressive number. Do you, you obviously have a favorite? I, I think, well, I like Royal Caribbean for the sportiness. I like celebrity cruises for the classiness. I, I, I guess we're not really big fans of uh, Norwegian or Holland. Um, Disney was good. Disney okay. was good. Um, it, it, I think it was good for one time, but the girls have seen the princesses, and they have those autograph books already all signed. And so th- there was some advantages to the Disney one, but their price is so so much higher than than other cruise lines. Once you attach that Disney name to it, the prices get out of control, right? I, I've seen the same thing for the Paula Deen cruise and all the yeah. random celebrity cruises that you see out there. They might end up charging three times the rate because you're with a celebrity. And there are so many things for the kids to do on, on all the other cruise lines. So mm-hmm. maybe the Disney cruise one time and then the other ones. But I, I love boats and cruising and going to the different places. is great. Um, but have you ever had the privilege of driving in another country? Only uh, French Canada, and, you know, that's pretty much America's. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, last week, w- when we were on the cruise, we stopped in Georgetown Grand Cayman. And they drive on the left side of the road. It's interesting. It's different. On this trip, I didn't drive. Be- you know, before we had kids, my wife and I, we would, we would go to these islands on cruises, and then we would go rent a car and go drive or a moped or something okay. and, start, and start driving. Uh, to a, like a more secluded part of the island where it's a little bit more quiet and and uh, there's there's few fewer tourists and it's less touristy you know that's right thing, right because you want to see the island you want to see what it's all well, about experience what the locals experience yeah right it, it you know it takes a bit of time to get used to driving on the other side of the road on the left side it it does it's a mental flip that you have to make mm-hmm. um, especially going through the roundabouts there's a lot of roundabouts in Grand Cayman. Um, but, you know, it's the same in Barbados. There's some other Caribbean islands, the British islands. They're, they're all left-side drivers. Are they all heavy on the roundabouts, too? I find that really interesting. No, not uh, – Grand Cayman is. Um, a lot of them, they do like the roundabouts because they don't have the infrastructure for the traffic lights. Gotcha. gotcha. But anyway, the locals who drive there, th- this is something now that – being in all these different places that I've been, 
they really drive in a style that's almost universal in all these Caribbean and Central American places. Um, they drive it away. It's, it, it's uh, let me describe it as very fluid. It's like they're leaves floating a- along a river, but they can move in and out of traffic seamlessly without much effort. And, and more importantly, without like any road rage, they just drive. They, they just change lanes. Uh, they don't get upset if your turn signal isn't used. They don't get upset if your if the lanes blocked. They just they just slowly move over and go around it and move back into traffic. They, it just it really is like without problem. Without it's just an easy form of driving. They don't brake check drivers who might follow too closely for a minute. What, where it gets scary is when you have drivers like that, and then you have your traditional American driver that is cussing out everybody that decides not to use their turn signal. Because when those two drivers try to share the road, that's when you end up with the con- persistent brake checks. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I think the problem is Americans, they seem to drive with a pretentiousness that is not found in these other places. Americans, I think, I think they, they feel that their car is a direct extension of their body. Okay. Uh, of their personal space, you know, and most people don't like to have their personal space space invaded. Understandably, I do. I, I did know a guy who who was a really close talker. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, it, 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 you know, it's there's a feeling from Americans of like, how dare you cut in front of me, or how dare you come close to me in my car, and you're not getting ahead of me. That it's that syndrome that I think Americans have. It's it's a more aggressive style of driving rather than than a passive style of driving. Not, not like, the, all right, defensive driving is something different. Defensive is, is more that you're watching what's coming at you, and you can be uh, more passive that way. But it, it, it's just, uh, it's, Americans just seem to drive choppy in, in, these, in these choppy, fast, hit, go, in and out, real, I mean, just that kind of way. You know? Well, and that entitlement, right? That I'm yeah. entitled to go faster than you. This is really a metaphor for a lot of things regarding America and its place in the rest of the world, if you want to get deep with it. But I, I think you do see a lot of that, where people think that they are entitled to go faster than the car that is trying to pass them on the left side. So you watch that speedometer creep slowly up when a car comes up to the left of you. And I, what I'm gathering from you is that that's not what you see in other countries. No, maybe it's the, you know what? Maybe it's our busy lives. Maybe that's what it is, you know? Maybe maybe we're just trying to pack too much stuff in into each day. Maybe it's the high cost, like we, we feel entitled to our cars, that it's a high cost, because it costs a lot of money to own and operate a car, right? Right. Um, maybe we just want people to stay away from our personal property, and like I said, it's an extension, your car, when you get in there, it's an extension of you and mm-hmm. your personal property, right? But it's, there's, there's a, just a difference in the way we drive compared to others. And, and my experience is from... Uh, from other countries they just don't feel that same way about their personal driving space i think as americans when they drive it's got to be a cultural thing i think so yeah and it's the way you're taught too and i think they're taught to respect the vehicles a lot more in most of these countries not all but in most i think you see in europe and the slavic countries specifically that there's a much higher bar to get a driver's license i'm not sure that that's the same in central america but i would imagine that it is in america it's much more of a right or it's perceived as a right whereas it's a privilege in some of these countries and you know i I think part of it, too, is that we are so hypersensitive in this country about getting a speeding ticket or getting pulled over for any kind of minor infraction. Um, uh, Like if I was going to just merge, let's say I was going to weave around somebody that might be partially on the side of the road or weave around somebody who's in their lane. Well, in these other countries, I don't I don't think they're worried as much. Uh, of getting a uh, of getting pulled over and getting a ticket for improper lane change and not using your turn signal and not yielding and all these other things to to get like a two hundred dollar ticket that they just can do it without that fear that they're going to get pulled over 
because you're just trying to keep traffic flowing. That's very true. And I think you could argue in that situation that uh, police in those countries have better things to do yeah. than to monitor improper lane changes. Exactly. And, you know, I... And and I think that also because like New York City has a high number of foreign um, born uh, citizens, yep. uh, and, and so they drive similar to that. There's a lot of the cabbies drive similar to that. So if you go to New York City and see how the cabbies drive, they drive very similar to the way they grew up in in their own countries. Um, Las Vegas is much the same way, yeah. actually, surprisingly. But then you get you get a lot of transplants who are just from other parts of America where they're maybe even more pretentious about the way that they drive. And that's what, when I was talking earlier about that culture class, Vegas is what I think of. Because you wind up with your New England drivers and your Massachusetts drivers who are very snotty and will cut you off and not even think <laughs> twice about it. And then you wind up with these other drivers, as you said, who are very fluid, but they, they're perceived as reckless. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, anyway, it's just a different style of driving. So what else happened while I was gone? Anything? Anything so gone? I called a lift two weeks ago okay. in the middle of a snowstorm, and we were headed to Golden. And we, were taking, we took 6th Avenue, got off the highway, or got off 6th Avenue. Went to take a big sweeping left turn in the middle of a snowstorm, and this little Hyundai Elantra that was supposed to be my lift vehicle did a big old fishtail, and we almost hit a bridge. And in my mind, it really woke me up to the fact that there needs to be some sort of control for Uber and Lyft. And for me, it makes sense that Uber and Lyft drivers would take their chances if there's snowy conditions. Anytime there's a snowstorm, you can count on surge pricing because there are fewer drivers that want to go out in those dangerous conditions, but there's more people who walk or bike or have some alternative form of uh, commuting to work that don't want to deal with that snow on that day. And so as a result, they decide, okay, well, today I'm going to drive... I'm going to take a ride to work. And so the surge pricing jumps into effect. I can say from experience, anytime you see a snowstorm at nine in the morning, you can expect to pay at least double for your ride. And there's no way to check whether or not your ride is a safe vehicle for the conditions. It's dangerous. But don't, don't, don't Uber and Lyft, don't they do like a safety check don't you don't you have your car go through something like you have tires and your right. car is actually in operational order That's but, they, but they're it. not tell uh, they're not asking the driver hey are you good in the snow are you good in the rain can you see at night that's exactly it i mean you have to meet a benchmark i think your car has to be built in the, within the last seven years and maybe even more recent than that and they do i mean you run through the same inspection that you would run through to get your license or your uh, registration renewed or something like that but what they're not checking for is for snow tires for all-wheel drive for vehicles that are equipped to handle certain conditions better than other. And to that end, they're not checking for a lot of things that are really specific. So what I'm proposing is really simple. And I think that Uber and Lyft, if you're listening, you can have this one for free. They should have cars that are weather tested. And those cars should be identified within the app. So that you know if there's a blizzard and you call for a ride and you need to drive 20 miles, you're not going to have a little Toyota Corolla with bald tires coming out to pick you up. I'll tell you what, a week later, it was snowing again, and the, and the vehicle that came to pick me up was a Toyota Tundra that had big old snow tires on it. And I almost hit my knees and thank God, because I was like, okay, we're not going to have any problems in this car. Um, maybe we need to take it one step further and say that uh, there should be more of a check on this, that... Uber and Lyft should lock out drivers whose cars aren't ready to deal with the conditions. Because in reality, this is a safety hazard. And somebody is going to get killed in a vehicle that was not meant to be in the snow. And who's going to be at fault for that? Well, you know, I think one of the problems here is that Uber and Lyft, as I understand it, they're they're really just people using an app to bring a, a person who needs a ride and a person who has a car that's willing to give a ride together. Yes, It's like the Tinder of car share. 
Yes. Car riding, something like that, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, but, but your idea, I think, if we had to register the drivers and make sure that they were, uh, you know, a certain level of acceptableness, if, if you would say, right. I think that would have to go through the Public Utilities Commission to regulate and oversee those drivers, and that's not what Uber and Lyft want. Absolutely, they want not. none of that, and I think that would actually cause more problems. So, if maybe Uber and Lyft did have, like you say. If they asked the drivers to perform some kind of competency, maybe go to a private driving school Absolutely. and say, all right, we pass this driving school, this snow drive, because we have snow driver schools, uh, and they actually take you, I think it's up on Georgetown Lake, and you go up there and you can learn to drive on snow and ice. Right. And maybe if you pass that course, you get, like you say, a little sticker, maybe a snowflake sticker. Something. That's yeah. on that, that's part of the Uber thing or, or part of the app, like you said. Uh, you know, drivers... Are, are basically independent contractors, and, and, and they're like the Forrest Gump. You never know what you're going to get when it's the box of chocolates, Absolutely right? not. And I think more than that, it, it would almost make sense for somebody to come in as a third party and say, look, we're going to put a fleet of vehicles on the road that is equipped for snow. Snow lift, snow Uber, something like that. An app where if the conditions are adverse, you know you can get on here and call for a car and know that it's going to be able to get you to your destination without a problem. Yeah, I, you know, I like your idea because – but then there might be a surge pricing, but I'm sure people would rather pay a little bit more if they're confident in their driver's ability to drive in the conditions that are presented. Well, and their driver, faith in the driver in general, right? I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for the expertise of the cabbie in the days when yeah. you didn't have a GPS to drive you everywhere. But can't you, can't you rate the drivers on Uber? So, I mean, it's a dirty little secret that you can, but as long as you get to your destination in one piece, you're probably going to give the guy five stars. It's but, but, and let's say, because uh, I, I, I don't use Uber a whole lot. I've used it a couple of times. But when you're requesting a ride and somebody accepts the ride, can you then say, no, I don't want you? Or do you have time before they get there to look at, at who they are and if they're a good driver? Typically, yeah. I mean, it's not going to tell you if they're a good driver or not. That's the issue. I mean, when, you, when, a, when somebody's rated, you only see that score, but you don't see past reviews. You don't see complaints. You don't see anything like that. You just see the number. And I think that once you dip below 4.6 or something along those lines, they'll just kick you off. They'll say you're done here. So theoretically, all oh, those so drivers... Uber will say you can't, ride, you can't drive anymore. Exactly. And if, I give you, if you're my driver and I give you one star... I'm never going to get a ride with you again. It'll just lock me out from ever oh, getting okay. paired with you again. So that's a good thing. But do you really want to play Russian roulette like that if there's a blizzard outside? Yeah. Do you want to take your chance? Again, the Toyota Corolla is going to show up at your house, and you're like, well, how am I going to get anywhere? So, But maybe you, you have a point there. Maybe they can have different colors on their vehicles that are driving around when you're looking at the app and say, all right, it's snowy day and, and I'm looking for a snow ride. And maybe this vehicle has four-wheel drive automatically like the Tundra comes over or it's a, uh automatic four-wheel drive or snow tires or whatever the case may be. Exactly. All right. Well, no, you know what? I, I, I think we should either we should either email this uh, podcast or your idea. You should write it out. And then send it to Uber and Lyft and see what they say. I, we'll see. I think, I think it'd be interesting. Well, to be continued. Uh, speaking of ice and snow on the roads, uh, did you hear that CDOT is trying this salt brine mix on the roads this year where they dissolve, they take regular rock salt, they put it in water, and they, and they dilute it into a certain solution of uh, basically pasta water is what I call it. Okay. Uh, and then they spray it on the roads. And they do this before the snowstorm. And, and, and what that's supposed to do is help break that barrier – 
when the snow starts to fall of when you know how if you can shovel snow before you walk on it it's a lot easier than if you walk on it and it gets compacted right Absolutely. so it's really to break that barrier so the plows have an easier time to scrape off the snow that does fall okay now it doesn't okay. work all the time all the de-icers especially the liquid de-icers between the magnesium chloride and the calcium chloride and all the potassium chloride all the different right. chemicals they all do different things when it comes to de-icing uh, some release heat, some take heat from the surrounding air, some, uh, they, they all act with, the, there's a little barrier of water that's always present on ice. It depends on how warm the air is around, but there's always, a, anyway, it reacts with a, all right, we don't need to get all, I guess I'll get all that. <laughs> but anyway, it's. Um, they all act differently. They all, they, yes, they do all act differently. And, and they also add in, into this salt brine mix, this anti-corrosive agent that they say makes from sugar and corn to keep the salt from eating your car. Because when I was growing up in Michigan and Detroit, we used to say, my brothers and I used to joke around that the cars had cancer because you would see these big eaten out areas in the, in like this rusted out area <laughs> on the side of the car. That's true though. That was that, the same thing in New England. These big holes, you know? Well, the town of Cowansville up in Quebec, they're taking a slightly different approach when it comes to salting icy roads. They're adding beet juice to their salt mix, which is meant to save money, and they say protect the environment because they take the spray and they spray the beet juice directly on the salt. And they say by mixing the beet juice with ordinary road salt, they use less salt overall and then minimize the impact on the environment as the mixture is so sticky... It keeps the rock salt on the roads longer, which will reduce runoff, they say. Um, they say it's proven effective at helping rock salt melt at below 16 degrees because there are certain like salt and certain chemicals that, that melt at ice at different temperatures. Right. So when they spray it on before a storm, that thin layer of beet juice keeps the ice from bonding, they say, with the road surface. Well, that's what all the ice uh, and the liquid de-icers are supposed to do anyway. Uh, and they say it's also less corrosive than other salt chemical mi- mixtures. But, but the problem with all, all the rock salts, especially just pure rock salt, is that it can really destroy vegetation, um, your grass and plants, and, and right next, especially next to the roadways. Right. So other cities have tried beet juice with success, apparently. Uh, Cowansville estimates it's going to use, get this, 30% less salt this year as a result of the beet juice. And the project cost $20,000 to install the necessary equipment, but they think they're going to recover that in the next couple of years. That's impressive. So, you wouldn't think that. We got a lesson up close and personal in this city about how de-icers work in low temperatures a few weeks back when it got down to negative 10. And the city had used their new salt brine mixture on the road, and it wasn't effective. No, because it's not effective at that temperature. Exactly. But like other chemicals are effective at those lower temperatures. They just didn't choose to use them. Um, Calcium chloride is a good one. Magnesium chloride doesn't work at the super low temperatures. Um, There are some that do work at very low temperatures. It just costs a little bit more money. Yep. Um, And I know you you walk to work, right? That's correct. If your car was covered with snow, how would you clear it off? So I enjoy clearing the car off. What? I like watching those big pillows of snow fall to the ground. (laughs) So I would clear the whole car off. But I'm just speaking for myself. Well, a man in Winnipeg, I saw this story, was slapped with a nearly, get this, $240 ticket for driving with too much snow on the roof of his van. His name is Jonathan McCullough, and he said he took a moment to realize that a police officer was following him, pulled him over, and as he was drove his way, he was going to a hockey rink, of course. This story is already too Canadian. Sipping maple syrup. The, (laughs) The man said, when I rolled down my window, the police officer asked me why I did have so much snow on my roof. And I didn't know what to say. I was completely dumbfounded by his question. 
Again, very Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man said he had roughly 7 to 10 centimeters of snow on the roof of his minivan. For us, that's about four inches. Okay. So about four inches of snow on the top of his van. His windows were clear, so he could see out, but it was just the snow on the top of the van. Okay. I, I did have to look up the metric conversion, by that's the way. That's fair. Either way, it was enough to earn him a ticket for what they said was operating a vehicle with unsecured load, costing him $237.50. An unsecured load on the top of his car was the snow. I, I guess they said the roof snow might be... Uh, an unsecured load where it could blow off, maybe? I guess it's a bit of a stretch. Well, you've been behind cars where they have the big old sheets of snow that come right off and they hit you in the windshield, and it's an, it's well, an annoyance. Well, a big one, yeah. yeah. Four inches is pretty deep, man. I, th- I think I think the cops might have gotten it right on this one. Four inches is a lot of snow. Well, when a, when, the Winnipeg police says that the rules on snowfall under the securement of vehicle loads portion of the Manitoba Highway Traffic Act. That sounds like a good read. (laughs) The law says cargo transported by a vehicle must be contained, covered, immobilized, or secured. So maybe if he strapped it down the snow, he would have been around it. (laughs) (laughs) So he says it can't. So so the so the load can't be dislodged from the vehicle or shift in the extent it adversely affects the vehicle stability. Although it doesn't mention snow specifically. Now the constable that pulled him over says that the law applies to anything on the vehicle that isn't part of the vehicle that you could that, that could potentially fly off and cause a hazard so like you said the snow that could fly off and maybe go go into somebody's windshield something right. like that but you know I mean the guy was driving to a hockey rink in his minivan um, in Canada my wife a retired bus driver very very adamantly was like we had to get on top of those buses and clear off all that snow you can't have any snow on there the the unsecured load thing is real he says that he's going to try to fight the the ticket in court to get it reduced or dismissed uh, he would like to see the city of Manitoba educate people and spread awareness about this law so they don't get dinged to. He says, quote, you drive down the street and you see signs reading, don't text and drive, watch for motorcycles, stuff like that. Never something about cleaning off your vehicle in the winter, unquote. How, how are they going to raise money on tickets if they educate people? Well, it's a good question. <laughs> it is Canada. It does snow a lot. That's true. They have a lot of snow up there. We have a lot of snow here in the mountains. Yeah, we sure do. We Crazy have a lot of puffers of here in the mountains, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you hear that, we're in Colorado. When we talk puffers, we don't mean the people smoking the... the no. Nope. The, yeah. Nope. We, we, <laughs> we mean people leaving their car on unattended so it'll warm up. We've already talked about that. You don't need to do that with your talked car. talked about it a million times. Police want us to keep talking about it. Uh, we can't talk about it enough. Yeah, right. All right, well, I guess it's time for a uh, quick break. Well, coming up when we come back from our little break here, we're going to talk about a couple of things, including how millennials drive and also a, well, it's a happening in March in Denver that I am really excited about. No, it has nothing to do with traffic, but I think it'll be fun anyway. That and more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. I'm Jason Grenauer, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. People need to tune into Denver 7 because we are a little interesting, a group of people. We're kind of like brothers and sisters on the newscast, which means we like to joke around with each other. We have a lot of fun. We keep things light. You will always find us laughing. And we also just give you everything you need to know. Oh, my favorite part about the morning show is not knowing what's going to happen. Literally, you can tune in and you never know what's going to happen that day. Each and every day, something very interesting or comical happens. Dale Cedars, only on Denver 7. Here's a reason to watch Denver 7 every morning. We always have the latest information you need to help plan your day for your whole family. 
Uh, we've got a full team of reporters that are here around the clock all night long making sure we can advance stories so you know how these things affect you and your family uh, that happen across. It could be a Broncos victory. It could be something about a road being closed or something that affects you and your kid at school. Mitch Jelnicker, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Joseph, do you like alpacas? They're okay. Guess what? Denver has been chosen to host the 2017 National Alpaca Show. Yes. Okay. This is happening. Okay. It's happening in March, baby. At the National Western Complex, alpacas from across the country will be featured in the show ring competition. That sounds fun. My favorite part of the show, I think, is this. The alpaca selfie booth, where you can take a selfie with a real live alpaca. I can't tell if that's a joke. No, I, I hope it doesn't. I hope they have a sign that says "No spitting, please." Or not llamas. That's that's llamas. The, no, this doesn't have anything to do with traffic. I realize that. I just think alpacas are interesting creatures. I I did not know we needed a national alpaca show. We certainly do, okay. and we have one, and it's coming here. Hi oh, oh man. Right. Well, we didn't have time for this in the first segment, but I wanted to mention uh, this press release that I just got this week from CDOT saying they're introducing a pilot program to bring front-range skiers and snowboarders, as they say, to and from the mountains. They say the snow stang, is I, am I saying that right? No, I think you nailed it. All right. Uh, part of the CDOT bus stang service will offer round-trip service to six ski resorts on two Saturdays next month, February 11th and the 25th. They're going to serve A Basin, Beaver Creek, Breck, Keystone, Vale, and Winter Park with round-trip prices starting at around $45. At that point, why wouldn't you just get a Greyhound? Well, yeah, because well, they go to those places, right? Right. So instead of being stuck on I-70 in your car, where you can play your own music and carry all your gear and your family or your friends in comfort for three hours, you can instead be sitting on a relatively uncomfortable bus seat holding some of your gear that you can fit on your lap and God help you if your kids are antsy on that bus. Because the trip on the bus would get even better if the highway was closed. Yay! Oh, and, and like it has been so many times this year, right? Well, riding the bus isn't going to help you avoid I-70 traffic, No. Right? Well, that, they said, if we can get everybody on the bus, then there'll be less traffic on the... Well, really? Not everybody's going to ride on the bus. You... Not everybody rides on the bus in rush hour. <laughs> Anyway, uh, instead of making the decision to turn around and go home, let's say, if the highway's closed, or to go stay in a hotel with your family, right? You're going to be stuck on a bus full of people who are hopefully not too gassy that night. I mean, they always are, too. Those bus people, man. This is the part that piqued my interest in this, uh, in this thing. Quote, our drivers have the ability to access the shoulder by bypassing eastbound traffic congestion, unquote. There aren't many areas that I can recall that you can safely fit a bus on the shoulder of I-70 that's not either covered in snow or too narrow to fit a bus in. And that's just the eastbound side. The westbound side is the uphill side where it's still going to be jammed full of traffic in the morning or has the chance of being closed. So I guess one out of two ain't bad, right? They they say it's going to be a pilot program, and if if successful, CDOT's going to look at fully implementing the service next winter. What's going to happen is they'll probably luck out and get great weather, and and you'll still be sitting on that bus, though, 
for three hours instead of in your car. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to is that you're going to get stuck in traffic no matter what. You're going to be on a bus no matter what. There's critical overload. I mean, what if you could get everybody in our pan- in our perfect world, you get everybody on the bus or a train or whatever, and then nobody drives. Well, then you see a highway that's completely empty, and you go, oh, that looks inviting. I want to do that. Right. If people wanted to ride the bus, they'd be on the bus. <laughs> exactly. If people want to ride on the train, they'd be on a train. Uh, maybe not the Colfax bus, but some of the buses. All right. Uh, so, Jason, when you went on vacation last week, CDOT decided it was going to announce uh, all of its dream projects, basically. I-70 east of I-25 is getting revamped. Ten miles rebuilt with express lanes. It's going to be the same deal on I-25 near Castle Rock. They're talking about adding express lanes there oh, as well. Oh, goody! I mean, we've been waiting for this, right? Yes, we have. You can say, if you've been a loyal listener to this podcast, and I know you guys are out there, we told you so. Yes, we did. Here's the big question. How much money are these developers about to make off the back of Coloradans? Honestly. And how much are they going to screw up people's lives in the meantime? There is no way to do the I-70 construction that's being proposed. We were just talking about this the other day. There's no way to do it. Yeah, I want to talk, because I was already looking up some of the contract so some of the highway construction companies that are in town as i want to because right now i-70 that elevate it's 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 an elevated portion so it's a bridge basically correct so we're talking this section is right by the purina plant it's it's basically from i-25 going east on i-70 to colorado boulevard it's it's a bridge right that's what it is it's a bridge Mm -hmm. and they want to take the whole bridge out and they don't want to just put it on ground level they want to put it underground level so you actually have parks and uh, roads that go across so the highway becomes a tunnel. So you go from a bridge to the ground, through the ground, into a tunnel. Yep. And you're supposed to keep the highway open for traffic during that whole construction period? How is that possible? I mean, it seems I know man impossible. is is doing some amazing things. And technology is amazing, and we can dr- maybe they'd have to drill the tunnel first and leave the highway as is, and then open that up and then knock the thing down. You would think so, right? I'll admit, I was one of the people who got seduced by the sketches, right? I mean, you see the soccer field. They're going to build a tunnel so that they can put a soccer field on top of it. And even though we're building a new road, we're actually building some green space. But the more you look at it, the first thing that's going to fall by the wayside is the park on top of the tunnel. You're just going to wind up with gravel. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just not going to get done. And there are a lot of people who live in that neighborhood who can see the writing on the wall that are complaining about this project right now. And they're like, CDOT is not building a new neighborhood. They're not building parks. They're building a ditch so your cars can go on it. So when little Johnny hits that home run at that uh, little baseball park, that, that roar is not going to be from the crowd. It's going to be from the traffic underneath Absolutely. the park. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. There, look, there's that road is about to fall down. If you've ever looked under it, if you stand at 46th Avenue and you look up at I-70, I mean, there are huge chunks of concrete that have fallen down. You could see rebar sticking out of the bridge. So there has to be something done to fix it, okay. it or, or, or replace it or something. It can't just leave it be. I don't know. There's, it, something's got to be done. I hate express lanes. I'm done with the whole express lane thing. Can we? We'll, we'll try not to get too political here, but there's a whole lot of blank checks being written, and this feels like one of them. <sighs> And then, well, and then there's the Trump infrastructure thing that's that's been released, and so we're, we'll talk more about that I think next week, um, and how it's going to impact us here. But I, I, not, I don't think the Trump infrastructure money is going to go to this. It could go to other things, correct? The I seventy things, anyway. But yeah, I, I really don't like the express lanes, and I'm, I'm sorry sorry that they're going to do that here. Um, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd rather prefer to see the roads funded the way they always have been through the state, collecting more money. 
and and not have some kind of ambiguous relationship between the private businesses and the government agencies as to manage them and to see how much money this is going to be spent and how much is going to be collected and then like you said in perpetuity basically yeah. how it's, it's, will, will those contracts actually like when the original Highway 36 drive was built it was actually built as a turnpike there were toll booths over by Wadsworth and they were removed once they paid off the road the, those toll booths were, were, were they they were taken out and then it was a free road again interesting so will that happen with these express lanes probably not because then they'll say well we need the money for maintenance yep Yep. I, I'd rather just see the state run them, and and we can have our roads back. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But the state, the state is not interested in doing that. The state would rather more mortgage off a little bit of it, let somebody else take care of all the dirty work, and let that person profit off it. Yeah, I don't have a problem with private businesses making as much money as they can. I I just don't like to see that the added expense to the taxpayer is going to these businesses who really haven't been served well up to this point by their, represent, by their representatives because we haven't done anything to help fix our roads. And, and this is the only way CDOT thought that they could actually get some roads, uh, get some lanes built and get some roads fixed and that sort of thing. Absolutely. So. Well, and when they talk about building roads to ease congestion, we talk about this all the time. You're building a road that is not going to ease congestion. Speaking of that, while I was gone last week, we didn't get a chance to talk about the comments from the governor about his number one priority in this legislative session, which he says is transportation funding. Uh, This is a bit of what he had to say. Over the next decade, Colorado has $9 billion of unmet transportation needs, and that need will only grow. Voters are tired of us kicking the can down the road because they know it's going to land in a pothole. That was his best line right there in the speech, the pothole line. Yeah, he brings it up again. Um, all right, he, he, here's the governor again. With the gas tax unchanged since 1992, more fuel-efficient cars, and normal inflation, it's basic math. It's a funding problem. We've had this debate for too long. If talk could fill potholes, we'd have the best roads in the country. He's right. If a funding pro- it, it is a funding problem. And now the question is, where is the money going to come from? He wants new tax revenue as a part of the package, which will have to include many sources, I think. Um, But that's all uh, obviously up for debate. All right, here's the governor one last time. Let's examine all of our options, whether it's new revenue, simplifying or replacing old tax streams, or a combination of both. We can find a solution that clearly spells out to Coloradans exactly what they're getting and how the money will be spent. And how that funding can benefit rural and urban communities, support local needs and statewide projects, and balance transit options with highway expansions. Let's decide what we take to the voters in November, and let's make our case to the public. So what it sounds like to me is that the governor would like to see a tax measure put on the November ballot this year that would fund transportation, that would just go to transportation. So it would read something like, would you vote yes for X, a, a, a sales tax of X amount that would go strictly to funding roads and bridges and, and transportation issues in the state? It, it also sounds like he's going to have to shift some money already in the general budget over two roads. Um, but what gets cut and what gets shifted is really up to, up to debate. And that's that's where... It's going to come down to the brass tax is, is where you're going to take the money from one place and, and put it into the roads. Every option to raise money or cut some other part of the, the state, the current state general funds, 
it, their supporters and critics for for any of those ideas. Mm-hmm. And what will ultimately be agreed on is going to probably be a mix of funding sources from taxes, whether it's going to be a sales tax, also the ga- gas tax, also moving general fund revenue around. So I, I've seen that they asked, they might ask the voters for a half a percent increase in the state sales tax. And they think that would bring in like $500 million a year over the next 10 years. And I don't know if this would be a permanent sales tax or a, or maybe it would be like a 10-year sales tax, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, the fight really is going to be whether the legislators can agree on an increase amount that's best interest of their constituents. Because every place are going to say, some are going to say, well, my constituents can't afford the extra sales tax. Well, maybe others can. But you, know, you can't do that progressive sales tax thing. It's one right. one set fee. Well, and what you're going to see here, and the writing is already on the wall, and this will be another situation where you can say you heard it first on the Driving You Crazy podcast, is... The people in the rural areas are going to be concerned that all the money is going to go to the Denver metro area. The people in the Denver metro area are going to say, well, I don't want to spend more on a sales tax. And the people in the really bougie areas like Boulder are going to be like, hey, didn't we just pass a sales tax increase a few years ago and we were supposed to get light rail and that never happened? So now you want us to add another sales tax so we can spend more money on roads that we're not going to get? Because they already have Highway 36 and their little improvement. So what do they give a, 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 a care about? Improving I twenty five from Castle Rock down to Colorado Springs, you know exactly. So I think there is going to have to be a lot of money from a shift of general funds to transportation. That's just going to have to happen. But but they're going to have to find out where it's going to come from and what's going to be either. And and the thing about government, sometimes they say a cut is just a reduction in the amount of an increase. So if I was going to give you, as the Department of Joseph, an increase every year of 5%, if I make that 3%, well, the way the government says, that's a cut. Really, you're still getting an increase. You're just not getting an increase as much as you were getting. A cut is a reduction of increase. I want to make sure I got that right. Well, that's the, that's the way the government... That's the government laws. Yeah, so okay. instead of saying, all right, your budget, instead of going up to $1.1 million, it's going to go up to $1,050,000. Right, and so, that would be a cut, yes, quote-unquote. exactly. Okay. Uh, either way, you know, it's t- either way, really, it's we do need some more money, and there has to be some more money that has to be spent on roads throughout the state, not just Denver, Colorado Springs. I really do hope that new funding will take the pressure off CDOT to want to continue for the ex- express lanes. I-, I hope we go back to the old way that they do it. Yep. I mean, they're already planning up north to do that express lane up by Fort Collins. And I, I think it's a monumental mistake to create the express lane between Castle Rock and the Springs. But I'm sure they're going to propose that. We'll see uh, as they get that planning work going right now. Absolutely. You know, you, are you a millennial? Is that how? Is that what you are? I think. Do they classify as anybody born in the eighties or nineties? I think it's eighty. I think eighty and later so far right now. Which, so. it, I, in my mind, it's probably eighty-five to like two thousand, maybe. And yeah, I fall into that age bracket. All right. Well, I, I'm I'm a solid Generation Xer over here. Um, and, and so, but here are some interesting facts when it comes to millennial driving because millennials are taking over the world. That's what they are. It's the next. It's the. It's actually a bigger generation than the baby boomers. The the next greatest generation. Right. So it shouldn't be as surprising that millennials, right, they depend heavily on apps when you're driving. Um, Navigation systems apparently are huge for millennials. In fact, millennials, they say, use navigation apps as the number one technology when they're going somewhere. I have used Waze since it first came out. I mean, I used Waze when they were first, when they, at least they said they couldn't use regular maps. And so they would have a map and they have these little dots. And you were supposed to drive on the roads to confirm they exist. So that way, 
Waze could say, yes, we have a road there, and we confirmed it because this person drove it. Gotcha. Um, and you used to get collect points for it. It was really a silly little system. But anyway, uh, now that Google owns Waze, they don't have to worry about that anymore. But when it comes to car maintenance and road safety, millennials say they are the, the least confident when it comes to taking care of their cars. Do you like to take care of a car? Do you have a car? I My wife has a car. I changed her tire a few weeks back. It went flat. <laughs> I was real proud of myself. Millennials are half as likely as Generation Xers or Baby Boomers to have confidence to perform simple acts like refilling windshield wiper fluid. You can do that. I'm sure if you could change a tire, I'm sure you can do that, right? I'm sorry to my millennial friends. Like, they're just lazy. Like, you could pull out a book and figure out how to put the windshield wiper fluid in. Could I, if you put a car hood in front of me and said, change the windshield wiper on this, I'd say, I don't know where to do that. But if you gave me a, a diagram, I could do it. Well, changing the window windshield wiper and changing the fluid are two different things. Right. Well, the fluids, the fluid. I could. I've changed wipers before. Actually, I, I'm I 60, 40 percent confident my wife could do it. I think. I'll maybe make that 70, 30. 70, 30 sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So according to this story, millennials think about roadside safety surprisingly often. They say 25 percent say that vehicle maintenance crosses their mind at least once a week. That's because they don't know how to fix things. We don't know how to fix things. <laughs> well, yeah. So you're thinking about where am I going to take my car when it breaks down exactly. as, you, as you're driving past a grease monkey. Uh, the millennials, they say 96% drive every day. Well, I think that, I mean, a lot of people have to drive Yeah, that's not surprising. 75% have never changed a tire on their current vehicle. Well, I'll put you in the 25%. I'm in the 25%. Uh, I don't mind changing a tire if it's if it's not too cold or if I'm dressed for it because, you know, it's 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 really dirty. I mean, you, your hand just grabbing the tire gets really right. dirty. So if I'm dressed for it, I, I don't mind. Yeah. Um, it's actually a challenge. It's a nice challenge. I'd completely agree with that. I would hate to break down in the rain and have to change a tire on the side of the or road. Or cold when you have to put tire chains like the truckers that have to put their chains on when they're driving and it's cold. That's awful. Yeah. Uh, the three most common roadside needs for a millennial – are a tow truck, having a dead battery, or having a flat tire. Which, which are debatable things, right? Like a dead battery you're not coming back from. A flat tire you can fix, though. Yeah, you can fix a flat tire. Yeah. Uh, so about half of millennials had some kind of car problem in the past year while they were driving. Well, I think about just... Uh, yeah. Count, or that's, that, that would apply for just about everybody. Uh, the story says 54% of millennials, so just over half, say they would make an important car purchase like buying tires online. I do that. I already do that. I already buy my tires online. You know you can buy your tires online and then have them shipped to a place and then that place for a little fee will uh, put them on for you. Shout out to TireRack.com. We bought our last set of tires yeah. on TireRack, and we picked them up from the TireRack distributor, which is right here in Denver. Oh, is it? And then you can take them to your retailer, and you don't have to pay the shipping costs, and they will yeah. put in the retailer put the tires right on for you. See? That's huge. That's uh, in. And it saves a lot of money. My father-in-law, real excited that there's a tire rack distribution center in Denver. I've, I've, I've gone to, uh, like, Sam's. I've gotten my a tire in Sam's. Yeah. And they have the free, when they when you get your tire there, at least for me, they had the uh, free roadside assert, uh, assistance. So I went in there because I ran over a, um, a, I think it was a nail or a screw or something. So okay. I got a new tire. And then it happened again, and so they just re- they, they fixed it for no charge. That's dope. I wish more places did yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, millennials. All right. The, here's the millennial top five fears while driving. 88% distractive driving. 79% snow or icy roads. <laughs> you walk to work, so you don't have to worry about that. 75% say getting, a, getting in a tight parking spot. I hate that. 74% say backing out into a busy street. 
And you have to do that a lot in some of the downtown areas mm-hmm. here. And 70% fear monitoring a blind spot. I'm surprised that drunk drivers isn't on this list anywhere. You would think that, pe- that this generation, because of the age and because I, I would assume that more people drink heavily at, this, at that age you think bracket. so yeah well, okay you know that i might thought be that fewer there would be fewer drunk millennials than gen xers or baby boomers well i mean the education has been so good for our generation and they beat it into your head you know but i think and we're all with the ubers and lifts and everything that you're more apt to right. use i think we are we're also more cognizant of the fact that drunk driving is dangerous and kind of stupid yeah. kind, no kind of about it. it is stupid thing to do so I, I am surprised that didn't make the list, but I'm not surprised that distracted drivers made the list because every millennial that I've ever met texts at the red light. Texts well, I think that's what turn. it is. So I think millennials <laughs> say that they are more worried about people distracted because they're texting yep. rather than worrying about people who are drinking because they don't think people drink and drive as frequently as they text and drive. That's absolutely true. So in 2015, millennials, the, the story says, took an average of 3.4 trips. How do you take 0.4 of a trip? More than any other age group, 54% travel by car for vacation. 44% would give up their smartphone rather than their car. Would you do that? Would you give up? Would you give up? Which one would you rather have, your car or your phone? My phone. Undoubtedly my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I need my car because I live 25 miles away, so there's no way I'm walking to work. That's fair. And 50% are scared of self-driving cars. I think that's natural, and we'll if we we will do more self driving stuff in the future because yeah. it's fascinating. It but. is fascinating. I don't think it's a panacea. Everybody thinks it's going to be. Oh, but there's plenty. To I'm be scared of. of those self driving cars. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I'm scared of what they're going to do to me. Absolutely, I, I I'm looking at my own self preservation here, Joseph. <laughs> we have self driving cars. I mean, we have no crashes. That means traffic just drives perfectly. Because in the perfect world, everybody gets to work safely and on time and in ten minutes. The, the impossible. And then you don't need me, right? And then I'm out of a job. What am I doing? Hey, look, if Hillary Clinton can get hacked, I bet my Volkswagen can get hacked. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you got to first worry about the emissions getting fixed on your Volkswagen, <laughs> and then you can go to the hacking issue. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this uh, edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks again for all your support, for listening. Uh, if you want to shoot us an email, we have an email. It's called Driving You Crazy Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also get us on the Twitter and the fa- the Twitter and the face. I do that all the time. The Twitter and the face, the face and the Twitter. Make sure to check out Jason's Facebook Lives every Friday. What time are those? Oh, yeah. So I usually do them at 9 o'clock Mountain Time. Uh, we have a free Coffee Friday event this Friday. So every Friday... Once a month, we do this thing called Free Coffee Friday, where we, as the news people from the morning show, show up at a King Supers at a at a, at a it's a right. grocery store, and we're standing there giving out coffee and donuts and shaking hands and and kissing babies. Um, all right, not that many babies show up, and usually we don't kiss them. But anyway, we're out there and we're glad it. So we this might be a nine thirty event because I have to drive back here from there back there from here back here from there. Anyway, yeah, it's a Facebook Live, so you can yeah, tune in there. Interact. That's the big it's thing. It's on the Denver Channel uh, Facebook page, which is Denver 7 uh, on Facebook, so you can see it there. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for uh, supporting and uh, being a part of the podcast. We will be with you next week. Same time, same channel. Until then, I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I'm the overnight producer, Joseph Peters. Thanks, and as always, happy motoring. Thanks for listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast. <laughs>